Welcome back to the Hemingway List Podcast, the best podcast ever. Just had a gig. It feels so weird. My band just played a gig at a pub, um, like a rock show. Uh, all the audience had to be seated because there was um, limited capacity. You had to, um, you know, you had to book a ticket to go to this gig, um, <clears throat> which was assigned to a table, and so it was a heavy very heavy metal heavy rock show with everyone sitting down at tables which was kind of cool uh and strange and just the whole night was strange i mean i had this moment driving into melbourne into like the actual sort of city because i live in the outer suburbs i live in the yarra valley which is like wine country but just rolling up into our city i i realized i hadn't been there um, to Melbourne for seven or eight months, I reckon. Um, and I just had this really nice moment looking at the sun setting along um, Brunswick Street. Uh, it was just kind of cool. And um, yeah. Anyway, that's what I did tonight. Very fun night. Uh, and very strange. We, uh, you know, it's we had we've had double we've had zeros here in Melbourne for about about a month now. All zeros across the board, COVID wise. No new cases, no active cases, um, uh, and no deaths. So I don't know. That that's really cool to me. I think that's we've done really well because a few months ago in August we had seven thousand around seven point five thousand cases uh, active cases which is a lot it's not a huge amount um, some other places are much higher numbers than that but it's a lot it's enough if you compare those numbers to other sort of cities of similar um, population density um, similar population uh, from around that time um, if that and who had around the same amount of active cases, around sort of you know five, six, seven to ten thousand cases back in August, um, a lot of those have skyrocketed or or increased um, since then. We did a really really harsh lockdown, like essentially just stripped everyone's freedom away. We weren't allowed to leave the house after eight. We were only allowed to leave the house for a handful of reasons. You know, shopping for essential groceries. Um, you could have an hour of exercise per day, wearing a mask. You had to wear a mask anytime you went anywhere. Um, just, just really, really strict. Um, which sounds awful, but in three months' time, we went from seven thousand five hundred cases to zero cases, and now we're able to go out and play gigs and and party and and hug. You know, I mean, I think we st- it still feels really weird to shake hands with someone or hug someone um, but we, we can fairly safely do it because we've had zeros all across the board no one's allowed out of the place so or in, into the state so um, we're sort of easing back into normal life um, but it sounds worse than it is you know like the whole lack of freedom thing because really I was forced by my government, I had my my freedom stripped away, and I was forced to sit around all day, 
playing video games, drinking beer, collecting JobKeeper money, um, and binging Netflix. Like it really wasn't that bad. Um, and it, I actually feel really proud. Everyone does feel really proud that we actually stamped out the virus here. <clears throat> so we did one. Of, we actually in Melbourne had one of the harshest lockdowns in the world um, so far in terms of Corona lockdowns, uh, and and it worked. So good on us. I say this because I've been watching in the last few days America spiking even further into the numbers. I think LA alone, just LA had 22,000 new cases on the 4th of December. I think it was the 4th or 3rd of December. So at the peak, we had 7.5 thousand active cases and we were getting around, you know, 300 new ones per day. LA got 22,000 new cases, which just boggles my mind. The state of California has, I think, 1.2 million cases coronavirus cases in that state um and only now i'm starting to see headlines like you know san francisco uh enforces a lockdown or this kind of thing i know it's not up to you the citizens of america if you're listening uh, from america um to put in like put in those kinds of protocol like we did it because our uh government said to do it and the numbers checked out, the theory checked out, and we said, okay, let's give it a shot. We gave it a shot, and it bloody well worked. Um, but there's a very different thing between Australia and America. America always and always puts freedom into the conversation. Uh, and so, if so I think a, a lockdown that strict just wouldn't fly in America because we did have all our freedoms stripped away from us. We had to wear masks anywhere we went. We weren't allowed outside the house after 8pm. We weren't allowed to meet up with anyone outside of our own household. All these rules, really, really strict rules. Um, No freedom whatsoever. And I think I keep seeing the sort of argument in America about freedom and, and that kind of thing. And I just think, I think for a little while you need to think of the greater good and say, you know what, maybe freedom isn't the most important thing in the world. I know that I'm not American. <laughs> and if any American ever said that, they would probably get like shot or whatever you do in America. I think shootings are quite common. Um, but hey, maybe, maybe just for three months, that's all it took us, three months, just give up some of your freedoms. If it helps, you can think of it like as having your freedom to do that. You're free to to isolate yourself (laughs) but um i don't know i just think it's so tragic that i don't know why other places not just america i don't know why other places didn't do what we did when we did it you know because and and now especially now that you can see how well it worked I i don't know why now they aren't doing those things Anyway, um, a lot of coronavirus talk tonight. Sorry about that. I don't often like to go on about coronavirus. Um, But there you go. There you have it. Kind of fitting because there was zero comments on the chapter. So I suppose I had to fill up the discussion part of the podcast with something. The discussion prompt was this. Some new characters and Phil kind of seemed decent in this chapter. He seemed almost like a decent fellow, which was nice to see. 
Um, yeah, but uh, zero comments. No one had anything to say about that. Fair enough. All good. I say we just um, keep reading then, hey? What chapter would we be up to then? i tell you what, their accents in that previous chapter were a bloody pain to read. And just having a look ahead, and it looks like they're in this chapter too, so wish me luck with this. All right, chapter 114 goes like this. Three weeks... The three weeks which the appointment lasted drew to an end. Philip had attended 62 cases, and he was tired out. When he came home about 10 o'clock on his last night, he hoped with all his heart that he would not be called out again. He had not had a whole night's rest for 10 days. The case which he had just come from was horrible. He had been fetched by a huge burly man with worse for liquor, the worse for liquor, and taken to a room in an evil-smelling court, which was filthier than any he had seen. It was a tiny attic. Most of the space was taken up by a wooden bed with a canopy of dirty red hangings, and the ceiling was so low that Philip could touch it with the tips of his fingers. With the solitary candle that afforded what light there was, he went over it, frizzling up the bugs that crawled upon it. The woman was a blousy, blousy creature of middle age, he had had a long succession of stillborn children. Who, sorry, who had had a long succession of stillborn children? It was a story that Philip was not unaccustomed to. The husband had been a soldier in India. The legislation forced upon that country by the prudery of the English public had given a free run to the most distressing of all diseases. The innocent suffered. Yawning, Philip undressed and took a bath, then shook his clothes over the water and watched the animals that fell out wriggling. He was just going to get into bed when there was a knock at the door and the hospital porter brought him a card. Curse you, said Philip. You're the last person I wanted to see tonight. Who's brought it? I think it's the husband, sir. Shall I tell him to wait? Philip looked at the address, saw that the street was familiar to him, and told the porter that he would find his own way. He dressed himself, and in five minutes, with his black bag in his hand, stepped into the street. Sorry, I'm taking my shoes off while I'm reading. A man whom he not could not see in the darkness came up to him. He said he was the husband. I thought I'd better wait, sir, he said. It's a pretty rough neighbourhood, and them not knowing who you was... Philip laughed. Bless your heart, they all know the doctor. I've been in some damned sight rougher places than Waver Street. It was quite true. The black bag was a passport through wretched alleys and down foul-smelling courts into which a policeman was not ready to venture by himself. Once or twice a little group of men had looked at Philip curiously as he passed. He heard a mutter of observations, and then one said, It's the hospital doctor. As he went by, one or two of them said, Good night, sir. We shall have to step out if you don't mind, sir, said the man who accompanied him now. They told me there was no time to lose. Why did you leave it so late? asked Philip as he quickened his pace. He glanced at the fellow as they passed a lamp post. You look awfully young, he said. I'm turned 18, sir. He was fair, fair and he had not a hair on his face. He looked more than a boy. He was short but thick set. You're young to be married, said Philip. We had to. How much do you earn? Sixteen, sir. Sixteen shillings a week was not much to keep a wife and child on. The room that 
the couple lived in showed that their poverty was extreme. It was a fair size, but it looked quite large since there was hardly any furniture in it. There was no carpet on the floor. There were no pictures on the walls and most rooms had something, photographs or supplements in cheap frames from the Christmas numbers of the illustrated papers. The patient lay on a little iron bed of the cheapest sort. It startled Philip to see how young she was. By Jove, she can't be more than sixteen, he said to the woman who had come in to see her through. She had given her age as eighteen on the card, but when they were very young, they often put on a year or two. Also, she was pretty, which was rare in those classes, in which the constitution has been undermined by bad food, bad air, and unhealthy occupations. She had delicate features and large blue eyes and a mass of dark hair done in the elaborate fashion of the Costa girl. She and her husband were very nervous. You'd better wait outside so as to be at hand if, you wa- if I want you, Philip said to him. Now that he saw him better, Philip was surprised again at his boyish air. You felt that he should be larking in the street with the other lads instead of waiting anxiously for the birth of a child. The hours passed and it was not till nearly two that the baby was born. Everything seemed to be going satisfactorily. The husband was called in and it touched Philip to see the awkward shy way in which he kissed his wife. Philip packed up his things. Before going, he felt once more his patient's pulse. Halloa, he said. He looked at her quickly. Something had happened. In cases of emergency, the SOC, senior obstetric clerk, had to be sent for. He was a qualified man and the district was in his charge. Philip scribbled a note, giving it to the husband, told him to run with it to the hospital. He bade him hurry, for his wife was in a dangerous state. The man set off. Philip waited anxiously. He knew the woman was bleeding to death. He was afraid she would die before the chief arrived. He took what steps he could. He hoped fervently that the SOC would not have been called elsewhere. The minutes were interminable. He came at last, and while he examined the patient in a low voice, asked Philip questions. Philip saw by his face that he thought the case very grave. His name was Chandler. He was a tall man of few words, with a long nose and a thin face, much lined for his age. He shook his head. It was hopeless from the beginning. Where's the husband? I told him to wait on the stairs, said Philip. You'd better bring him in. Philip opened the door and called him. He was sitting in the dark on the first step of the flight that led to the next floor. He came up to the bed. What's the matter, he asked. Why, there's internal bleeding. It's impossible to stop it. The SOTC hesitated a moment, and because it was a painful thing to say, he forced his voice to become brusque. She's dying. The man did not say a word. He stopped quite still, looking at his wife, who lay pale and unconscious on the bed. It was the midwife who spoke. The gentlemen have done all they could, Harry, she said. I saw what was coming from the first. Shut up, said Chandler. There were no curtains on the windows, and gradually the night seemed to lighten. It was not yet the dawn, but the dawn was at hand. Chandler was keeping the woman alive by all means in his power, but life was slipping away from her, and suddenly she died. The boy who was her husband stood at the end of the cheap iron bed with his hands resting on the rail, and he did not speak, but he looked pale very pale, and once or twice Chandler gave him an uneasy glance. Thinking he was going to faint, his lips were grey. The midwife sobbed noisily, but he took no notice of her. His eyes were fixed upon his wife, and in them was an utter bewilderment. He reminded you of a dog whipped for something he did not know was wrong. When Chandler and Philip had gathered together their things, Chandler turned to the husband. You'd better lie down for a bit. I expect you're about done up. "'There's nowhere for me to lie down, sir,' he answered, and there was in his voice a humbleness which was very distressing. "'Don't you know anyone in the house who will give you a shakedown?' "'No, sir.' "'They only moved in last week,' said the midwife. "'They don't know nobody yet.' 
Chandler hesitated a moment awkwardly, then he went up to the man and said, I'm very sorry this has happened. He held out his hand and the man, with an instinctive glance at his own to see if it was clean, shook it. Thank you, sir. Philip shook hands with him too. Chandler told the midwife to come and fetch the certificate in the morning. They left the house and walked along together in silence. It upsets one a bit at first, doesn't it? said Chandler at last. A bit, answered Philip. If you like, I'll tell the porter not to bring you any more calls tonight. I'm off duty at eight in the morning in any case. How many cases have you had? Sixty-three. Good. You'll get your certificate then. They arrived at the hospital and the SOC went in to see if anyone wanted him. Philip walked on. It had been very hot all the day before. And even now in the early morning there was a balminess in the air. The street was very still. Philip did not feel inclined to go to bed. It was the end of his work and he need not hurry. He strolled along glad of the fresh air and the silence. He thought that he would go on to the bridge and look at the daybreak on the river. A policeman at the corner bade him good morning. He knew who Philip was from his bag. Out late tonight, sir, he said. Philip nodded and passed. He leaned against the parapet and looked towards the morning. At that hour, the great city was like a city of the dead. The sky was cloudless, but the stars were dim. At the approach of day, there was a light mist on the river, and the great buildings on the north side were like palaces in the enchanted island. A group of barges was moored in midstream. It was all of an unearthly violet. Troubling somehow and awe-inspiring, but quickly everything grew pale and cold and grey. Then the sun rose, a ray of yellow gold stole across the sky and the sky was iridescent. Philip could not get out of his eyes the dead girl laying on the bed, wan and white, and the boy who stood at the end of it like a stricken beast. The bareness of the squalid room made the pain of it more poignant. It was cruel that a stupid chance should have cut off her life when she was just entering upon it but in the very moment of saying this to himself philip thought of the life which had been in store for her the bearing of children the dreary fight with poverty the youth broken by toil and deprivation into a slatternly middle age he saw the pretty face grow thin and white the hair grow scanty the pretty hands worn down brutally by work because like the claws of an animal Then, when the man was past his prime, the difficulty of getting jobs, the small wages he had to take, and the inevitable abject penury of the end, she might be energetic, thrifty, industrious, he would not have saved her. In the end was the workhouse or subsistence on on the charity of her children, who could pity her because she had died when life offered so little. But pity was inane. Philip felt it was not that which these people needed. They did not pity themselves, they accepted their fate. It was the natural order of things. Otherwise, good heavens, otherwise they would swarm over the river in their multitude to the side where those great buildings were, secure and stately, and they would pillage, burn and sack. But the day, tender and pale, had broken now, and the mist was tenuous. It bathed everything in a soft radiance, and the Thames was grey, rosy and green, grey like mother of pearl, and green like the heart of a yellow rose. The wharfs and storehouses of the Surrey side were massed in disorderly loveliness. The scene was so exquisite that Philip's heart beat passionately. He was overwhelmed by the beauty of the world. Beside that, nothing seemed to matter. All right, there we go. There's a chapter for you, Philip. Having a moment.
What a sad word that was. Oh, oh excuse me. Um, all right, have your say on that one at the subreddit. Thanks for listening, and I will see you tomorrow.